Hello and welcome to the Macafab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillon and Stephen Craig. This is episode three hundred and four. So, Stephen, you are in town. This I have not been in Texas in three and a half years. Is it really been three and a half years? Uh, actually, no. Now that I think about it, it's I think been it's three. I think it's longer than that. No, no, because no, I I've come down for a th- one Thanksgiving. That okay. I was thinking that you haven't come down since you moved there. <laughs> well, no, this is only the second time I've come back okay. since I've moved to Colorado. But yeah, because when I went up there for that July, that was th- nineteen. Yeah, but that was you were already up there for two years at that point, right? Or t- just a half. little under two years. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, Cheers. actually, no. I was there for one year then. Regardless, yeah, I'm back here in Texas for Thanksgiving and. Uh, we're doing the podcast live, which hasn't happened in a while. It's interesting to be in the same room. Yes. And to not hear like a, a like a time delay between us. That and, but we're still like eight feet away. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not, you know, we'll just say it's, it's, we're, we're, we're social distancing. Oh, okay. That works but it's actually because we need mic separation. <laughs> and this room is not the best for recording because it's all hard surfaces. It's actually not that bad though. I mean, it. It'll get by. It gets by. We'll, we'll There's no fine. echo. It's not like the first three episodes we recorded in my kitchen were like. With a Yeti mic. With a Yeti room mic. And we're both, we're, we were both like huddled around this one mic, like speaking into it like two. Like if one of us had COVID, we would both gotten COVID. Because <laughs> how close, like we were like right next it to was, each other. It was awkward mic, to, to say the mic. least. Yeah. And then we, then you. Well, you knew Josh, yeah, and I think who's our who are, our does uh, our editing, yeah. But but um, that was I think it was episode three or four is when we went to Josh's studio and actually recorded like a proper like thing. In the first episode we did there, we had like a table and like stools and stuff like that. Like it was like a very NPR setup. And like the next time we were like, can we just sit on the couch, Josh? Yeah, and Josh's like, sure. Yeah, why not? <laughs> so we just did a couch. <laughs> uh, I, I, I had, I'm not, in no way am I speaking from any kind of authority on this, but somebody asked me just yesterday that they're talking about starting a podcast and they were like, hey, can you give me some, some pointers? And I was like, yeah, sure. I, I guess I'll, I'll give you something. I was like, record like five episodes and then throw away the first three yeah, and start away. with the fourth episode and just consider that episode number one. Just get some practice. It's practice. And even after 304, yeah, 304 now, <laughs> it's still, we're, we are awful at closing podcasts. We can start a podcast. I mean, yeah. Can't close it down, though. That we have actually been getting better at that. I've noticed. It's so. uh, we just have fun every week, and I think that's I think that's where this podcast uh, kind of uh, has its charm. Is that you know you, all of our listeners come here and they just get to hear us kind of rant and rave about topics in engineering and technology, and we all just get to have a good time. And there's not a whole lot of uh, restrictions in there. Yeah, um, our marketing director, um, he was like, "Y'all have." really weird topics <laughs> yeah we do a wide yeah. range of topics i was like should we change that and he's like no <laughs> don't don't change it It works it right? works yeah uh, yeah I, let's just put it this way i say it works because i haven't had a lot of people 
respond, uh, talk to us and say like, your topics are really bad. You really need to change these. That's, that's, that's one of the things we've noticed. I mean, we've been doing this for like, what, six years now? Something like that. Um, yeah, we're going to have our sixth anniversary coming up, right? In like February. Yeah, I believe that's it. Um, but on that is after six years, I think we only had one email that said, like, we're stupid. <laughs> okay. We've had some like reviews that are like, oh, it was, they speak of authority about things sometimes, but they're generally wrong. Right. I have no clue what but the thing is. When, they, when, when I read that, I'm like, no, we, we always preface that we had no idea what we we're talking about when we had no idea what we we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So you, you can't claim that. <laughs> no, you can't claim that one. Um, and it's like, I want general, like I want feedback to make, to make stuff better. Cause there's no way we were amazing out the gate. Right? No, no, we were pretty bad. We're bad. So, um, if, if you're listening to this and you have anything you want to hear more about, or want us to improve on anything? Just let us know because we have like we had a um, like one episode we had or a couple episodes actually. Like I left my air filter on in my in this room and people heard it. I turned it off. <laughs> an, an, another another thing to note. Um, so if uh, this is a shameless plug for our Slack channel here, but. Uh, if you join up on our Slack channel and and you're active on the Slack channel, there's actually a pretty high likelihood that we'll talk about your topic on us on the Slack channel because Parker and I are on there every single day, almost twenty four seven, and we get a <laughs> we get a lot of our topics from the users on the Slack channel. So if yeah. you have something that is really interesting and really cool, you know, put it on there and we will likely talk about it. Yep. Um. So a long, long time ago in this podcast, I guess it was like, I think this is, this is when Iris was, uh, Mark, uh, head of marketing at Macrofab. And this is when we were doing the podcast in the engineering room, which was like half the warehouse. This is back when Macrofab's warehouse was like 200 square feet, I, which, which I kind of, <laughs> I kind of love those days because it, it was a little bit, a little wild west. And, and when they moved into the new building, they were like, here's this nice spot for developers. Here's this nice spot for the sea level people. Where should the engineers go? The corner of shipping. The corner of shipping. <laughs> yep. It's like, thanks guys. Thanks, yep. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so and cor corner of shipping is where all the sewage flowed. And so when it, it inevitably, backed up because that building hadn't been used in like 15 years and the plumbing had failed. They had to cut a four foot by four foot hole out of the, out of the ground out of the foundation and fix the pipe in the middle of engineering. Yeah. So basically for a couple days, we couldn't even go in that room because it just smelled like sewage. Yeah. We, we had the doo-doo corner. Dude. Like that's uh, uh sometimes I feel like that's the way, and engineers get treated a little bit. I'm not complaining about it. I'm actually laughing about it. I think it's funny because it's just like, well, we'll put them back there. They'll still do their job, you know? <laughs> I think it's because if you if you walk by an engineer, the engineer is going to talk your ear off about what they're working on. They're going to get excited. I know, I know a lot of people consider like engineers to be like the introverts of the company and stuff. But that's because you're talking about like, Sport ball, <laughs> sport ball, or basket hoops, or yeah, some, you're talking about something like stuff that normal people will talk about, <laughs> the, the normies. <laughs> but 
when you talk to an engineer about what they're working on, like you can't shut them up. Can't shut them up. Also at Macrofab, when we were doing the whole uh, like back in the day with with our engineering team, I would say, you know, we were at our desks. But also, we were on the floor. We were talking to other people. We yeah. were going department to department, getting a bunch of stuff. So, I mean, we were at our desk for, you know, an hour or two a day, but the rest was all over the all place. All over the place, yeah. Um, so where I was going at with that is, um, that was when we would we would ha- we would go and, like, get a six-pack of beer on the way to go do the podcast. And we, we Steve and I would alternate buying the six-pack of beer. And... There was an idea to do like, oh, we'll talk about our beer. And we ended up never doing that idea. But we are going to do it this time because it's a special beer. Mm. And it is a, I say it's a special beer because it's the first beer Steve and I, it's not the first beer Steve and I brewed together many, many years ago. But it was the first beer that we did a like co-recipe. Collaborative on. design. Yes. And we actually started started in quotes because it immediately died because nothing else happened after it but we came up with like a brewery name and it's like cool like um design and that kind of stuff so this is the original name for this beer is not gonna lie it's called stupid stout and we brewed it in september 2015 the original one this is not six year old beer though by the way oh yeah oh this must have been we must have been on like episode like 30 at this point then. Yeah, I mean it was yeah, this was new yeah. for sure. Yeah, we were we were in probably episode cuz this is September 2015 and we started the podcast February 2015. I had only been at Macrofab a few months. Yeah. Well, we started February 2015. So you were there for 6 months at this point. No, uh, cuz I uh I got married March of 2015, I wasn't even at Macrofeb when I got married. So hmm. I, I started in at Macrofeb in uh, the summer of 2015. So then... Then did we start the podcast in 2016 then? That could have been true. This... I don't remember now. No. We started the podcast not long after I started. So yeah. I think we were doing that, especially because that's called Super super Stupid Stout or whatever. Yeah. And it probably coincides with the Super Stupid Power Supply. <laughs> <laughs> like we had a theme going on. Yeah, here, we had a theme. You know? put, put stupid in, in the names. Yeah. Um, you guys just described every nerd movie ever made. Oh, thank you, Engineer Bob. For chat. Um, so anyways, uh, this is the first beer that we did a collaborative uh design on or, or or recipe on and we were entering it into saint arnold's yearly contest the, it's called the big big batch brew bash yes and so saint arnold's is a a craft brewery here in houston and uh it that year was an american stout and so we were like we can brew an american stout and we i've actually never brewed a stout before i don't know if you knew that at this point no i didn't and uh <laughs> Because you had. Uh, yeah, I had. And yeah. so I'm like, I I pulled up the style guide and I we pulled up previous winners of this contest. And basically everything had to be over, like every winner is over 12% ABV. Yeah, that's the whole big part of the yeah. big batch. Like it, the, these are all like super beers. Yeah, but they, they don't have that in their contest rules though. No, they don't. We just no. pulled up the like winners and we're like, okay, we have to be over 12%. And it's got me American stout. <laughs> we saw last year's exam. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And basically, uh, yeah. And, uh, and so we, we came up with this recipe 
And the funny thing is, if you look at this recipe and you, the, especially the grain bill, is be like, yeah, totally this person has no idea how to brew stout. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The thing about this grain bill is like, it breaks so many rules. Yeah, so it's um, basically what a third the grain bill is what's called it's adjunct grains, right? I think that's the term. Yeah. Uh, so uh, grains that are not your, you're just like Joe Schmo jelly bean base grains that make generic beer. It like a third of it is the, the extra stuff, which 30% of your entire recipe is a enormous amount. Yeah. Usually it's like 5%. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Yeah. I, I think it's called adjunct grains. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, this grain bill is like 30%. And we brewed it kind of in the what's considered the traditional English style way to brew, which is um, you brew about you when you mash, which is like you're basically making a, a tea with all the grains. Um, when you mash it, your first draining of your tea off the, the grain, um, it's called the wart, not tea, but um, when you drain it, that is called your first runnings. And in traditional English style, your first runnings makes your stout. And then you fill up your, your, your grain back again with water, hot water, and you mix it all up. And then you get your second runnings off it. So you get more sugar. Whole point is getting all your sugar out of the grain. And so with uh, the traditional English style is your second runnings makes your porter. And then your, your third runnings makes your, your bitter. Okay. And so you have different levels. Your first running is going to have the most sugar. Your second running is going to have somewhere in the middle. And your third running has barely any sugar in it because it's making like a 2% bitter, right? Beer. Um, now, most breweries have moved away from that because they found that var varying your grain bill across different beers is actually beneficial. And so, and it's you, not as efficient. And it's not as efficient as well. And so you basically, what you do is you, you, you mix all your runnings together to make a beer and you make one beer off that. So you, you use less grains and extract more sugar. So we did the old English stuff because we needed, we needed the concentration of the first runnings to make this big, <laughs> because basically yeah. we calculated it out and we're like, the only way we're going to hit that number is to do the first runnings and just do as much as we can. Yeah, like ratchet every knob to 11. Yes. And so we had, basically we took my mash ton, which is the, basically it's a cooler. <laughs> it's a cooler, the biggest cooler I had. And we filled it up with like 30 pounds of grain and filled it all the way up with hot water. And then let that sit for an hour. And then we did all the runnings and all that stuff. And we didn't make a bitter, but we ate a porter. Right. And it was actually, in my opinion, my favorite beer ever made. And it was spectacular. The problem with the porter, though, is we can replicate the grain bill. So we had that written down here. But the hop bill, I guess, hop hops. bill, hops, yeah. The hops were just leftover hops that were in a jar in my fridge, my, my freezer. And so it's like, we have no idea. No idea what they were. And it ended up being one of the best beers we've ever made. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, oh God. So the, you got five gallons of it and that's it. Yeah. It was so good. Um, technically, I guess we could 
reverse engineer what was in that jar by going back in the last like three years of notes. But you know, whatever. So so okay. W- one thing to note: uh, the the whole mashing and then pulling off the first runnings basically with this beer it ended up just being like black tar that comes out of the mash tun because i mean it's it's, it's almost syrup because it has so much sugar, sugar in it yeah like almost uh, to a sticky level the thing about the grain bill that that most of the time when you're developing a recipe something to keep in mind is that if you add all these adjuncts and all these other things that are not your normal barley or if they're uh, highly modified barley you end up really screwing with the pH of the wort. And when you're making that tea, the main uh, mechanism that actually extracts the sugar is enzymes that are present within the grain itself. So different enzymes get activated at different temperatures, but they also get uh, more or less efficient based off of the pH of the, uh, the, 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 water effectively and that's affected by the grain which is affected by your recipe now here's the thing with this beer we have so many dark roasted like chocolate black uh patent malt like all this stuff that just absolutely makes this water just completely acidic beyond belief and you would think that uh you'd have terrible efficiency like the water is so acidic that the enzymes are not going to efficiently convert to sugar no somehow they like supercharge get the sugar out of it it's amazing it's like we when we calculated it out because i so what i would do is i will do my recipe in the calculator and all that stuff so i get my calculated and then i always will measure it at the end we exceeded expectation by like 10% on everything. Which is insane. Yeah. Like, like, like I said earlier, we, we broke every rule and on paper, this recipe should not work. And we, <laughs> unfortunately, we also broke a rule with the contest because it was supposed to be an American stout and we chose... Um, An Australian hop. Australian hop for our, our, our uh, flavor hop because the bittering was Goldings because... Goldings just it doesn't matter, right? You just want the alpha content yeah, for, for right, this. Right. But then we use glacier hops, which is an Australian hop, which is because I think we were looking at it and we're like, that looks like it'll be tasty. Yeah. I think it's our decision, right? Yeah, basically. And it's it's glacier is a American hop, but it's grown, it's like a super hop that is like bread. And so it has higher alpha contents, basically, it has more bitter oil. Uh, it's the easiest way to explain it. But so it has more percentage, so you can use less of it and to get the same flavor. Um, but it tastes just the same as a American stout hop. So kind of lame that we lost. We lost on a technicality. We might not have won, but we got eliminated because of a technicality, I guess. Yeah, they dinged us points on that. Regardless, when we got the the score sheet from from this beer, it was like everything was like no technical issues. Everything is great about this beer technicality is the reason you got dinged yeah um so why did i bring up the story i don't know parker why did you bring up this story so steven rebrewed this beer two months ago yeah (laughs) and brought a bottle or a couple bottles down actually yeah so parker now has a handful of bottles which with something this monstrous it needs some aging even though it's been aging for a few months in my closet it needs a little bit more time but it's almost 100 percent there it needs to sit in in a uh it needs to sit in a houston garage in september oh geez (laughs) for accelerated aging for accelerated aging 
Yeah. So, so I calculated this one to be somewhere between 11 and 13% alcohol, which is massive. It's a big beer. It's not as big as, as the one we brewed last time. But also last time we had my super cooler. Yeah, okay. So, I, in fact, I was making a joke about this earlier. What's funny about it is I followed the recipe to a T. So all the ratios of all of the grains are exactly the same. And I chose really close adjacent hops to what we had used previously. So in all regards, this is exactly the same beer. However, the alcohol content and therefore the sugar content is slightly lower than the original one. And that is actually because my beer brewing system isn't physically large enough to hold enough grain to get that much sugar. Yeah. It, not just that though, but I haven't found a lot of evidence for this yet, but when I switched to my new style brewery, which I'll have to show off after this podcast, cause you haven't seen it in person. Um, I went to the standard, what I would call a, a, uh, a um, cylindrical, vertical. cylindrical, tall, tall ratio mash ton, yeah. which a lot of people are like, this is the best way to do it. I cannot get anywhere near the efficiency I had in my cooler. Okay. There, I think there's some evidence for that. I've saw this was years ago, but I, I saw a paper that someone wrote where they chose, they tried different drain ports. They tried different sh uh, shapes and ratios yeah. of length to width to height kind of thing for, for that. And rectangular coolers did better than cylindrical mash. Tons. Yeah. So I think I've, so Steve and I have talked about this a bit and I call it like season two of my brew rig. I'm going to go back to a cooler. I'm going to, I'm going to make it all like nice the hard plumb. A cooler hard plumb. I'm going to hard plumb the cooler in because that cooler I was. So usually you hit like 60% efficiency on extracting your sugar for like the style of brewing. I do. I was getting 85 to 90% of that cooler. That's that's nuts. And I think it's just the ratio. The best I have ever gotten is 72% in my system. And that's when like all the stars were aligned and everything worked yeah. beautifully that day. It's between it's almost always guaranteed between um I'm sorry, not 72, 75% uh is the best I've ever gotten. But like if I ever screw up or I miss something or I didn't crack my grain well, I guarantee you it's it's that 75 drops to 70 or 68. Yeah. So I'm probably going to go back to having a a cooler mash ton and not recirc. Mm. Hit it and and let, let it sit. That's it. I am going to. I think I'm going to tr experiment with putting auto stirrers in it mm -hmm. to just keep stirring it. Um, I I I saw someone who put RC helicopter blades upside down with a big motor and <laughs> just spin and, it around, and just spin it around like and turbuline it. Yeah. And I don't know how that's going to work in a rectangular setting. But I'm going to try it. I, I would think that like if you made stainless steel paddles and put them on a low speed, high torque motor. Oh, like a paddle boat? Like a paddle boat. And just a but but instead of like paddling through it, you put them, you put the paddles vertically down oh. submerged in it. Oh, so it spins like this. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. Uh huh. Uh, I, I would think that that would get enough movement. Because I know that there's, uh, there's, you can get efficiency increases by just stirring with a spoon. Yeah, just a, a a big paddle works wonders. Right, and and the large brewers, if you look at their mash tons, oh, they're they're, they're, they're agitated, constant the whole time. agitation. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, because they're they're looking at their bottom line, right? They they need they want a hundred percent, right? Right? Hun- yeah, hundred percent minimum. Yeah, minimum. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's amazing that. that yeah, I, I switched to this new brewery, and I'm just like, I don't know, underwhelmed, I guess, because how much effort I put into that brewery, mm. and I'm like, this is not as good as my turkey burnt, like turkey fryer propane thing, and like a cooler I bought at Academy. Well, okay, <laughs> that, you know that actually brings up an interesting thing because, like, yeah, I, I mean, I caught a glance of your your brewery. It is, I'll put it this way, it is way easier because I when I designed it, the number one thing was make it easy to clean. It is super easy to clean, though. <laughs> so so that might be worth, like, taking the efficiency hit for the added benefit of no. cleanliness. No, no. no. <laughs> it wasn't worth it. It was, and, and, yeah. I don't know. It's just... I think I need to combine the two concepts. Yeah. Make, it e- make the brew kettle and the hot liquor tank easy to clean. And then the mash tun is a cooler... That you can disconnect from the system. Quick disconnect fittings on it. Yeah. Make it easy. Yeah. Make it easy. And then you can just dump it over. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the evidence is there in terms of I've, I've brewed with your cooler twice, I think. And I I was, it was, it's another one that just blew my mind where it's like, this shouldn't be happening. No, it shouldn't have. Cause, cause so it, and at the bottom, it has one exit at the end. And just a stainless bazooka tube, which is basically just a mesh tube that prevents the grain from going in. And then the other trick, though, is you have to basically almost pulverize everything. With oh, your, yeah. It's, your it's, it's almost flour. Almost flour. Yeah. Um, with Because a lot of people will, like, set their, their grain crusher to, like, credit card. I think I did half a credit card. I, I So... I actually got my feeler gauges out and I did like set mine to 18 thou is where I have mine set. So half a credit card basically because the credit cards are around 30. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So I found like that worked, but I also have to have my drill on like high torque, low speed setting to get stuff through there. (laughs) Yeah. I use my big uh, seven amp drill (laughs) to Mm -hmm. crush that grain. Yeah. Yeah. My, my drill gets hot going through five gallons worth. Yeah. So anyways, this is even though you didn't hit the alcohol content or sugar content, it tastes almost identical. It's though. it's pretty much there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think I think the flavor is basically exactly what we had before. It might have just slightly less kick. No, it's still got the warmth. So I would say, if if I can't tell a difference, even though there's about three percent ABV difference, you can't taste it. I mean, yeah, once once you get to a certain level, like this is this is on on par with some wines. You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> so it's a uh, it's good. It tastes it tastes like chocolate, coffee, cherry, and really sweet. Yes. Um. And engineer Bob says I need to add some RGB LED Christmas lights to my brewery rig in season two. Oh. So I think season two is going to happen after I move out of this house, though. So because really the problem with it's it's one of those like uh it's like. So th- I live in my parents' old house. Okay. This is the house I grew up in. So I basically, you know, I moved around after afterwards, but like I came back here. And the problem is it's a lot of house and not enough garage. Now, how- <laughs> the garage is pretty big. This garage is, yeah, this is, this is, um, nice. we're actually are in part of the garage. This is like the side room in the garage. 
um, that's like fully insulated and has an air conditioner and stuff. So it's it's really nice. Everything's nice. I want to like flip the square footage around. Yeah. I want like 2000 square feet of garage and like a thousand square feet, maybe of house, <laughs> a kitchen, a bathroom and a bedroom. Yeah. I mean, I don't use a lot of like, yeah, I use the kitchen, the bathroom and my bedroom in the house. Yeah. It's got, it's got like a dining room, a living room, three bedrooms. I'm like, I don't use any of those. I feel like a barn dominium would be perfect for you. Yeah. So I, I've been working on barn dominium design, finding a piece of property to go move to. So I'll be here in Houston. Um, but I probably, and I'm actually designing the floor plan. I'm putting in a floor drain, like a, a trough where the brewery's going. Nice. So that if I spill something, I just squeegee it into the drain. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. But I, I got that idea from my uncle. My uncle's brewery down in Alvin, um, Texas has a trough drain in front and you just like, just put the hose right there. And so when you're cleaning everything, Everything just goes straight down. You don't have to worry about it. So I know that this might seem a little bit gross, but I was I was talking to an engineer at uh, at a previous job, and he was talking about designing his brewery because he brewed a bit back in the day, and his idea was to do something similar, but instead to put a urinal, but one of those urinals that goes all the way down to the floor. Oh, so it was like a multi-use kind of thing. <laughs> well, but he wasn't going to put it in the actual brew room. But if he ever needed oh. to dump something, he could just go to it. Gotcha. Yeah. Now I'm going to have that in the, in the rule is going to be, you can only dump brew stuff in there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause yeah, it's yeah. going to be the whole shop, right? But I'm going to, I'm going to put it in. Yeah, a, you're not going to drop your motor oil or anything. No, like that in there. no. Well, no, I don't. Okay. It gets recycled, man. Yeah. 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 But, um, that's exactly what I'm saying. You wouldn't do no, that. I'm going to have, I'm gonna have a, for other things, I have like a utility sink. Yeah. A proper, because right now I use the kitchen sink as a utility sink. Don't tell my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking to install a utility sink in my basement. And and luckily... I'm surprised you haven't yet. Well, you know, the, the funny thing is like, it's just worked out that I haven't needed it yet. But like, I'm also realizing if I had it, I would have already used it. Yeah. And I've looked up in the ceiling and right where I want to put it, there's hot and cold copper pipes right there oh perfect so just like cut sweat new pipes on drop them down it's it, it's perfect yeah having hot water for your utility sink is awesome oh yeah. yeah i just i wish i wish i had enough room to do a double utility sink um two sides but i think i can get away with one i mean i've got away with zero so yeah so uh engineer bob asks if my uncle was a sailor because i think every boat has a scupper is that a scupper what's a scupper I never heard of a scupper. I wonder if that's like a floor trough drain. Um, but no, he would probably be the opposite of what a sailor would be. <laughs> um, it'd be really fun to. Um, I think the MacFab Engineering Podcast is the wrong spot for someone like my uncle to be on the podcast. Though. Oh, there you go. Scupper. Uh, a hole in a ship's side to carry water overboard from the deck. Okay. Yeah. Very they, they have names for everything. Have names. I call that the hole in the side of the ship. It's a drain. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, engineer, electrical engineers have weird names for other things too. So, yeah, and we're all fancy. We use J for imaginary numbers. Oh, it's an because I? Be, yeah, because somebody back in time was like, "I is current." 
That's right. Oh my god, I completely forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, we were all those weird guys that used J. It's been a long time since I've actually written down a formula using variables. Because now I just write down like, oh yeah, for some reason V equals IR or something like that. You, you're totally right. You're tr- I just wasn't even thinking about it. Yeah, there, there, were, there was there was some kind of like really goofy elitism on my school where it's like, well, we use J. Um, <laughs> I think mathematicians use J for unit vectors, don't they? Too. So it's also it also gets even more confusing when yeah. you start doing that. So, what unit was A then? Why? Because is there a reason why amperage was I? Hmm. That's the interesting thing to think about. Now, what's the who came up? I think who discovered or named Amperage? Probably Ampere. You know, okay. part of the person's name. So, uh, yeah, Ampere. Uh, that's 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 it. But um, I remember using the capital letter A to represent the gain of a system. Capital A. Yeah, yeah. And we wouldn't use G. We'd use capital A for it. I don't remember why. I want to Google. In wine. fact, if you, if you go, go like simulation software, a lot of simulation software will use the capital letter A. Ah, so if you in Google, this might be because of me, but if you type in "why is amps," the first thing is "why is amps symbol I." Nice. Yeah. What does it say? Um, the I symbol was used by Andre Ampere. So it's just because the person who discovered or because he just did it. He just did it. Just, I think that's yeah. what it was. And he just did it. And no one was willing to change because we could if that's the logic, <laughs> we could have used J for current and done. I like everyone else. But nope. Yeah. <laughs> Some of these things get stuck and that's that's just it. I'm, I'm, I'm making sure it's just because. But but you see, if I was um, if I was to write out a formula for a transfer function that includes uh, reactive components, and I had to write i omega c or i omega l or whatever, like that just wouldn't how feel do you, right. How do you pronounce? So Chris in chat says, "Blame the French <laughs> um, because of intensite or intensite du courant, which is." Well, the, the intensity French. of current. Okay. Intensity of current. Yeah. So I is, that is what amperage is. Hmm. Yeah, so problem solved. Hold on. Having to go check on something real quick. Intensité du courant. Something like that. I don't know. My French is terrible. That dog's doing something no. weird. My dad's like, I'm going to the grocery store. And I'm like, we're recording podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to tell me anything. <laughs> uh, oh, whatever. We're having a good time. All right. So that's so I can cut it out. So for Josh. Yeah. So that totally makes sense. Intensity of current. It's always, it's always something like that or it's Latin. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Although, like, it's I for intensity, but yet we still the unit is amperage, which is his last name. That's so both good. of these, the most, both of these things are still arbitrary. Yes, it's still yeah, because yeah, because you could be well. It's just like could you on your multimeter? Could you imagine it being intensity of current instead of just amperage? 
Oh gosh, yeah, intensities, <laughs> intensities. The amount of okay. Here's here's the one. Um, I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I, it'd be IOC intensity of current. <laughs> I wouldn't want to write IOC every single time. Uh, okay. Um, I'm 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 going totally off the cuff here, but um, maybe someone can explain this to me. Uh, gosh. Okay. Maxwell's equations. Remember Maxwell's equations for that define. Electromagnetism and light, basically, right? Yes. Yeah, Parker's like, I don't want to remember. <laughs> I don't remember at all. So, uh, gosh, what's the guy's name? Um, somebody came around and... Uh, so Maxwell's equations was like one of the... There's four different equations for Maxwell's equations. And one of them was something equals... Something times or something cross something equals something, blah, blah, blah. Well, somebody came around and was like, in this one situation... If you set this equal to zero, it tells you something and then called it his equation by just oh, setting yeah. it equal to zero. And I'm like, that's bullshit. Like you could call that like a, a theory. Could you call that like a theorem? I mean, it, like, OK, so if you have an equation and that equation encompasses all values, then how could you say if it's this value, it's my equation? Like, like that seems garbage to me. So I don't know if, if, if I I can't even remember what it's called. But like it's literally somebody's name. It's like it's not Maxwell's equations anymore. If you set it equal to zero, it's called someone else's equation. Uh, and and I don't want to discount somebody's work because they probably put a gazillion oh, of hours into work. Is it Gauss's magnetic law? I don't. Maybe I don't think so. Uh, there is one zero that is present in Maxwell's equations, which shows up in Gauss's magnetic law. Is that it? Uh, we I remember joking about it in uh, in college because yeah, we were all like, "It's upside down delta times b equals zero, whatever that means." <laughs> I love that <laughs> upside down delta times b. I think all of that is wrong. <laughs> Dude, what is that? That is uh, isn't that the it divergence is- of the magnetic field is equal to zero? It's uh, yeah, it's uh, Weber's meter cubed. <laughs> <laughs> All of this stuff is not like, not, not lying. Magnetic charges measured in Weber's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Th- I completely the, forgot okay. about that. That's the fun. That's the fun part about Maxwell's equations is I know, like on a fundamental level, I know that they are so unbelievably important, but they're so like not usable by not everyday life that you're just like, what? So what is the upside down delta then? That's I, I swear that's divergence, isn't it? Is it divergence? It could be, yeah. Uh, give me one second. I'm looking it up. Now we're going deep here. We haven't even started the podcast. No. <laughs> so we're supposed to talk about bench. I was going to segue when I mentioned multimeters. Yeah, okay. I was right. Okay, uh, in vector calculus, <laughs> divergence is a vector operator that operates on a vector field producing a scalar field given the quantity of the vector field source at each point. So it's like field magnitude? I don't yeah. remember. It's been so no. long since I've done this stuff. <laughs> at, at Field magnitude at each point. I think that's that. That's like it starts rolling down the like spherical cow. Yeah, where yeah, if totally you sur- if you surround it with a sphere, because you're measuring like basically it everywhere. The cow field. The cow field. That's totally the name. Of the <laughs> I podcast. think I think the best the best uh, technological cow thing I've ever seen 
is the image, and I've showed this to Parker so many times because I'm making fun of him. He knows what he's talking about. But there's a picture that shows the aerodynamics of a cow versus the aerodynamics of a Jeep, and a cow is more aerodynamic than a Jeep. Now, to the credit, the Jeep had no roof and the doors off, but still. Well, but that's like, that's how people want to drive Jeeps half the time. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, finite element analysis on cows. <laughs> yeah. So I I was going to segue into our topic when I mentioned multimeters. So our topic this week, the real topic, uh, 43 minutes in. Should we just save this for next week? Are then? we really 43 minutes in? Yeah, 43 yeah, minutes Yeah, listen, in. why don't we just save the... Why don't we just like keep, keep on this train for the rest of the okay. time? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so sorry, everyone, but also you're welcome. Well, we talked about Maxwell's equations a little bit, which probably made everyone like scream. A now, bit. well, now, okay. So check chat. I'm, I, I now I'm really like bothered. Is, is it Poisson's uh, equation? I that seems wrong. Um, Are you talking about the one that's equal to zero? Yeah, because like okay, so so okay, so what if I said if v is equal to ir, if ir is equal to e, uh, zero, I want everyone to call that Craig's equation. Uh, which, if IR is equal to zero, that means there's no current. So if you have a resistor with no current on it, you're satisfying Craig's equation. Well, there's going to be something <laughs> more. Was there? Is there a fundamental thing? That, it could. Yes. Be, I could say it could be like a proof. I no no. You could totally name was. a proof after yourself. I I, so I, I think be, you're right on that. You could be like a Maxwell equation equals zero, and then you have a proof that explains how it's equal to zero i think yeah i think above and beyond that i think you're totally right i think uh perhaps what it was is at the condition where it is equal to zero there's something funky um, yeah, well maybe well, not funky but it's like electromagnetic waves so yes it's oh funky. every ounce of it yeah yeah yeah. but but i think at that at that condition things were there was there was some other fundamental thing that was explored and because of that it was granted you know okay yeah uh, like it's not just if equation. it was equal to zero. There's something else behind it, which is... Um, we did joke about that a lot back in college because it's like, wait, this is all it takes? You don't have to actually discover anything? I'm being mean. I mean something probably did actually happen. <laughs> Your phone that you're, you're, you're looking this stuff up on probably uses one of these, this equation that we're talking about. You know, okay, so... That so equals zero. This this one's actually really fun, too. I, I talked to a... Um, I talked to a uh, PhD student when I was back in college. Um, in fact, he was a, a roommate of one of my buddies. And we were, we were chatting with him about fundamental laws. And he was like, so, you know, Ohm's Law, V is equal to IR. It's great. It's what everyone in this entire electrical engineering department like bases their entire life off of and he's like it it becomes false at high frequencies you have to like oh yeah it's called impedance well no but i mean like it yes but it's also like uh it's not particularly reliable uh and with what he was working on he's like we don't really even know what happens we just try things and see what the result is see chris and chat is coming up the same thing goss's law is it Gauss's law? It must yeah. be. The um, the divergence of B. Wait, okay, so wait, 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 wait. Um, doesn't that mean... So there's okay. also uh, Murray Spiegel, who's, um, let's see, stated explicitly that the proportional to the charge density, therefore zero... 
That doesn't make any sense. Maxwell's no. equations are whack, dude. Okay, yeah. so so I, I think okay. It's so been a long time since I've even looked at them. The divergence of B, the B field, basically. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think doesn't that mean that we there's not magnetic monopoles. In other words, there's not places in space that just is a north field of a Correct. magnet. And I think if uh, by saying the divergence of B is equal to zero is saying that every magnet's going to have north and south. Yeah. It, it's all equal to zero if you encompass it all. If you encompass it inside of our cow field. Yeah, no, right. It's right. zero. Every cow's got a front end and a back end. And like, it's all equal to zero if you, as long as you <laughs> encompass the entire cow. <laughs> So. Yeah, yeah. I'm we're pr I'm pretty sure it's Gauss's law, which is it's a it's basically the uh, the I guess to say the, about it is if you have a magnetic field and you encompass the entire magnetic field, it's going to be zero. Every every field line that exits a, a a what is it an area that encompasses it has to have a field line that enters it at some other point, right? And Such equal that it's all equals zero. Yeah. Right. 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 Oh man, we're getting into it's kinda it. It's kind of like um you can think about it as as what is it is it Kirchhoff's uh what's the amperage node law? Current law. Current Kirchhoff's current? Current law. Yeah. 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 Did they drill that into you back in college? That was my first year. Yeah. Yeah. The, that was include all our circuit and original circuit analysis, which is like, you know, you're learning Ohm's law. That Kirchhoff's law and that kind of stuff was in there too. You know, okay, so I remember so many homework assignments and, and exam questions that were like, you know, nodes of resistors and batteries and all kinds of stuff. And you had to like define each node and you had to define current it was going out or into. And then, yeah, I, I think on, cause it was like a whole semester. Okay. Yeah. On the fundamentals V equals IR Ohm's law and its derivatives are like the most important. And you right. learn that there and a bazillion times. Yeah. Okay. But when it talks about, Kirchhoff's law is like equally as important. Yeah. Whereas the volta looking, voltage and current law. Yeah. Whereas looking back, well, mainly the current law, right. I would say, is looking back on it, all they would have to say is if current flows somewhere, it's got to come back out somewhere. Yeah. And it's got to be equal. And the pressure in the <laughs> pipe is the same everywhere <laughs> along the pipe. That is actually untrue, but... <laughs> It's, it's untrue if there's some impedance, right? Well, if the pipe has impedance along the line, along the line, that's the problem. That's the, that's the problem. Yeah. But at, at fundamental level, you can say at that. fundamental. Well, and the thing is at a circuit, small enough circuit level, it's true as well. Right. And though it's small can, enough current level. Yeah. Uh, all of that. Whereas we're, we're, we've, we, when you get older, you start realizing <laughs> you, get older. you start realizing that there's gradients to the ground plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because if you start, if you we've said this a bunch of times. If you just treat your uh, your your ground plane like a giant bucket of zeros that you can just pick zeros out of, uh, you're, you're going to get in trouble. I do that on the on most of my big designs though. <laughs> but again, I'm doing low speed, you know, and low current, low current stuff. So it's not too big a deal. Right. And I always separate high current out because I know. That's gonna mess stuff up. So I'm like, okay, I'm talking about the pinball controller right here because it's like that's probably the most advanced system I've ever designed, and uh, it works really good because you separate it out, high current, you know it's gonna mess stuff up, so you make sure that's away, and all the low current stuff, you're like, well, I'm gonna have a lot of capacitance and decouple the snot out of everything, and that way I make sure ground is ground and 
3.3 volts is 3.3 volts whenever I need it. Yeah. And then it, and, and you actually measure it out when you're powering it up and using it. And that's true. Now, again, it's, it's really when you start getting the mixed system stuff that it doesn't, it falls apart or like a bad design, I guess, too. Yeah. You have to start thinking about it differently. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that comes into like, I've had so many arguments, uh, if you should have split ground planes, separate ground planes, or combined ground planes for system design, and I've there's good arguments in every camp. Yeah, and there's and there's plenty of designs that you could look at and be like, well, it's successful, and they did it that way. Yep. You know, and it, it just depends because like, I oh, oh, we had the whole podcast talking about different grounding techniques. Mm-hmm. So we had like what well, we well, called the star. Yeah, star star grounding, and it was a plunge and. Oh, uh, plane and plunge. Plane and plunge, which is the technique I usually use. But on the, like my pinball system, it's both. Plunge and, plane and plunge is the low current digital side. And then the uh, high current power side is star. Yeah. Or galaxy. You remember galaxy? Oh, yeah. Galaxy was fun. Yeah. yeah. It's a hybrid star, I guess. Yeah. Hybrid star. I guess you, if you had separate ground planes, you could say it's technically galaxy. I'd call it nebula, though. <laughs> super cluster. Yeah, super cluster. <laughs> I love it. And and you can get away with plane and plunge with high current. You just, you're not going to have one via. You're going to have via patches and stuff. Yeah, a lot of that. And um, usually thick because, oh, man, there was, there's a very, inter- there's a very interesting video. I haven't watched it yet, but it is the claim that current doesn't flow through your board. Oh, where everything's what static? No, it's very interesting. I think someone posted in our Slack channel. I just haven't gotten around to watching it yet. I mean, that seems a little ridiculous on its face, right? Um, well, it goes back to what we were just talking about with Goss's law, where you have exiting magnetic fields and then entering magnetic fields, and the magnetic fields is actually what's causing the electrons to move around. I think I think that's what it's going at. Are, are you are you saying like the net total is zero? No, no, I'm just going at with. The because like when you have a we've talked about this before when you have a giant plane but you have a trace that the current is flowing through over it the current return current actually flows like under the trace through the plane it doesn't spread out over the whole plane it does but it depends on frequency depends on frequency right we're talking about just low frequency if we're, if it is low frequency, it will spread across the plane. Not fully though. No, it, it is local. It's still localized. But it's a gradient. It's like it's like a giant like cloud. Yeah, that, that flows. Yeah. But as the frequency increases, that cloud Narrows. thins to be the same size as the trace yeah. above it. And so I I haven't watched this video yet, so I don't want to. I, I guess I shouldn't have brought it up because I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. But I'm planning on it, and it's it's it, to that effect that. The current isn't actually flowing through your board. We'll see how much clickbait that is. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Hmm. I'm. 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 Now I'm curious to to see get you to, to listen to this because it's uh like I don't see how that claim could be made unless they're talking about like you feed your circuit with whatever power and whatever current goes into it, and then I see. I don't even know now. Like I mean, that gets distributed and flows to whatever. Uh, I guess it, it, the only way you can make that kind of claim is if you're talking about like 
the total net for like AC current, like the argument we were having about AC versus DC the other day. I hear here it is. So it the amp hour retweeted or tweeted about it, so it must be true. Oh, it has to be true. (laughs) Um, It's it's, so it's energy doesn't flow in wires. Well, okay, well that's different to say the word energy versus current. You're right. You're right. See, I haven't seen this video. No, you're all good. Yeah. So my, I'm going to watch this. What? Who made this? Video? Oh, that's Veritasium. Yeah. Oh. Ooh, that's going to be a good one. Yeah, those are usually, they, they have a, a high production value on those. So Energy doesn't flow in wires. What does that even mean? Yeah, and it, I, when I saw, I, all I remember is seeing the flow in blah, blah, blah. But yeah. then like, I remember seeing, a like if you look at the thumbnail, it's a bunch of, Basically, the EM waves coming off the wire. Oh. You know, you know your right hand rule. Oh, <laughs> we called it. We called it the Aggie rule at Texas A and M because you do thumbs. Because we do thumbs. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, so I went to a store just last night because um, I'm I'm back in town. And I was visiting a buddy, so I went to a store to pick up something before I went over to his house, and um, I, I I put down my card and paid for it. And the guy saw my ring on my hand and he said, thanks to Gigum when I left the store. And I just gave him the biggest <laughs> grin and a thumbs up on the way out. It was it was perfect. It was it was what I expect from Texas. Oh. <laughs> the Gigum rule. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty that's, cringe. That's it's, bad. It's cringy, isn't it? It's yeah. real cringy. That's yeah. cringy. But, but it's funny because it just fits. No, it's perfect, actually. Yeah. Because totally you all do that. <laughs> We would, yeah. Well, that's okay. So that's a great example of one of the professors being like, "I'm gonna really gonna connect with these kids." It totally is. It totally is. <laughs> we had fun. Yeah, we had fun making fun of our professors. That's for sure. <laughs> My okay. So when I this is the last story, then we'll end the podcast. So at 56 minutes of just stories at this point. Um. When I was a petroleum engineer, so my first year and a half, I was actually a patro- training to be a petroleum engineer. Because when you're in school, you're not an engineer yet. You're training to be one or learning to be one, I guess, if you want to use learning. Um, and there's a a bar right next to the engineering part of campus. You know how we were talking about how engineers are like in the corner somewhere? That At UT, it's that way. Oh yeah, yeah. There's Same a day, you know. there's a corner of campus that is where the engineers, and then they put the math people in between <laughs> as a buffer. As a buffer. <laughs> <laughs> you, you the rest of the people, like math people, are weird, but engineers, like whoa. Yeah, well, it's the practical math. <laughs> <laughs> so stuff gets really. It's when they start fudging the numbers to make it practical, right? Mm, yeah, calories yeah. So, and, so you, what you're telling me is they were next to the business people, is what you're. That's a little farther down. <laughs> That's when you start lying about numbers. Right, right exactly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and so there was a there's a bar called Posse East. If you're in Austin, go to Posse East. It's right off campus, north uh, northeast of campus. Really cool little dive bar. Um, they still sell pitchers of beer and that kind of stuff. And uh, when <laughs> we would go. And I was, I would always ride my bike next to it because that's where I've come into campus. And I would always see my petroleum engineering professors there. And then five minutes later, they're at, in the class. Oh, man. One dude couldn't stand up half the time. 
<laughs> sounds like petroleum engineering. It does, yeah. 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 Um, I was going to be a petroleum engineer until I took my first proper geology class. I took <laughs> and you're cl- like, nope. <laughs> I took a class called Sedimentary Rocks. And this is... UT is kind of a weird call. The biggest difference between UT and like AM in terms of engineering colleges is AM has like like classes for engineers and they group them all together, which is great for for because um, everyone in your class knows where you're coming from, that kind of stuff. Whereas in UT, it's the opposite, which is like you take math with all the math people. I was taking sedimentary rocks with geologists. And I was the only engineer mm. in that class. Mm. And and they were all into it. I could not figure out how to get excited about that class. <laughs> it was that bad. And I was, it wasn't bad. I just, and I, when I was a kid, I collected rocks. I had a rock collection, different kinds of rocks. And that, I, I was like, yeah, it'd be like that. No, 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 no. It's not like that at all. <laughs> and uh, I was in that class for about two months. And I'm like, you know what? I'm doing this kind of like electronic things on the side. I want to switch to electronic engin- electrical engineering. And uh, and that was that. I walked into the the office over at electrical engineering college, and I'm like, I want to transfer in. And they're like, what? <laughs> you I was the though. only person that semester that transferred in. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And so I got approved out of way because usually they don't let people change easily because. You know, they don't want someone to go into a easier, in quotes, engineering college and then transfer in. Because you have to, like, you have, at UT, I don't know if it's that other college, but you have to apply to that specific engineering college. Yeah. I think that's normal. When when I switched majors from aerospace to electrical, I had to have an interview with both the head of, oh, wow. of, of electrical and aerospace uh, to be able to do it. Oh, they just said, yeah, come on. Because yeah. I was the only one. <laughs> I, I had to make specific times for both of them. And it was funny because like, but like it, that was like school policy to do that. Mm-hmm. But like I spent maybe five minutes with both. Like the aerospace guy was like, why do you want to leave? I was like, I like electrical. And the electrical guy was like, why the hell would you want to do electrical? <laughs> and I was like, because that's what I do for fun. And he's like, okay, fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was when I had to, when I entered, that was like, why do you want this? I'm like, well, I'll do it on the side and petroleum's kind of boring. I didn't have a exit interview, I guess, with petroleum engineering. I think they probably did it um, in that situation because I was a freshman. Oh, okay, okay. Just making sure that you're not jumping ship. Oh, like, yeah, because I was week. I was technically... You were a junior, weren't I you? Was, no, I was end of my sophomore year. Oh, okay. That's yeah. when I switched. And then uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So we should end this podcast. I think so. Yeah, we're we're at an hour. Just a tad. All right. Well, that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your hosts, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dillman. Take it easy. Later. <laughs>